Only one column this week due to the holidays, but this is an audio version of a news story published on August the 15th, 2022. Prime Minister candidates both back medal for Britain's nuclear test vets. The Tory leadership contenders support getting justice for the Cold War veterans who took part in secretive radiation experiments between 1952 and 1991. The next Prime Minister has backed a medal for Britain's nuclear test veterans, whoever takes the reign on September the 5th. Both Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak have thrown their weight behind the Mirror's campaign for justice for the Cold War heroes, who took part in secretive radiation experiments in America, Australia and the South Pacific between 1952 and 1991. It follows our successful demand for Prime Minister Boris Johnson to become the first British Premier to meet the survivors, which he did in June, professing astonishment at their experiences and agreeing there was potential evidence of crimes by the state. The testing programme was the biggest tri-service operation since D-Day. In February, a government study proved the men were more likely to die from cancer. Their children also report ten times the normal rate of birth defects. After his meeting, Johnson ordered the medal committee to take a fresh look at the case for a gong and our civil servants to prepare a package of measures. But after he was forced to resign, the work was thrown into doubt. Now, with the support of both contenders for his job, civil servants can press ahead with plans for recognition. Johnny Mercer, the UK's first cabinet minister for veterans affairs, is also working with campaigners. But as with everything else, the two Tories disagree on what to do. Bookie's favourite trust promises to look again at delivering war pensions for nuclear veterans, which under the current system sees only 1.6% of their claims approved. Former Chancellor Sunak, meanwhile, wants police to look into whether crimes were committed against British servicemen during the testing programme. Liz Truss told The Mirror, Nuclear test veterans have served our country with distinction and it is appropriate we recognise their contribution to Britain's security. We should recognise their service. As Prime Minister, I will carefully consider options, including the applicability of war pensions and medals, to recognise the sacrifice made by those veterans and the long-term health issues that may have arisen as a result of their service. A campaign spokesman for Rishi Sunak said, Rishi supports the campaign for nuclear veterans to be recognised for their service. We are incredibly grateful for our nuclear veterans' sacrifice, which kept Britain safe during the Cold War. Whilst the ultimate decision on medals lies with the Independent Advisory Military Subcommittee, as Prime Minister, Rishi would strongly support these veterans receiving a medal and urges the committee to reconsider. He would also back an investigation into whether the tests represented a criminal offence towards these veterans. The campaign is supported by the Common Sense Group of Tory backbenchers, led by Sir John Hayes MP. It also has the backing of the SNP and the Labour Party. Opposition leader Keir Starmer met veterans a year before Boris, along with Shadow Defence Secretary John Healy and Salford MP Rebecca Long-Bailey. Labour's Metro Mayors, including Andy Burnham and Steve Rotherham, have also called for justice and compared the Test veterans' long fight to scandals like Hillsborough, Grenfell and contaminated blood. All sides are working together to get justice in time for the Plutonium Jubilee, the 70th anniversary of the first atomic bomb test, this October. The Mirror has set up a Facebook group dedicated to the campaign. To join, just search Justice for Nuclear Test Veterans. This is the Fleet Street Fox column for Friday, August the 19th, 2022. Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak prove the people who want power the most should never get it. 
The price we pay for power only ever increases. Have you noticed? There is a constant upward trajectory in your energy bills and in what you must swallow from your government. Once the country had to put up with being led by a man mocked for being indecisive about peas, but his financial meltdown and moral failures now seem like a joy by comparison to what we've experienced since. Later, we decided it was better to have a Cheshire cat, or small and no substance, and when offered a man of substance and no style, we dumped him as uninteresting. In came another smoothie who said the last lot had been too expensive, but he cost us more, and then there was a woman who we judged on her shoes and her failures. Then came the big balloon, who puffed himself up, then deflated faster than a whoopee cushion, and with roughly the same kind of noise. And still the money leaks, with the same gushing joy as if the country's political system was being run by southern water and the government was watching it, scratching his head and wondering who was in charge. Now there are two people fighting to be top of the heap. One is an accountant by training and has been in government for a decade, yet says everything she was part of went wrong and that's why she should now be in charge. The other is a millionaire hedge funder who has no working class friends, claims not to have seen his children for two years and only uses a debit card for photo shoots. Both say they can fix what's wrong, but let's be honest, what's wrong is them. The best way we've come up with to choose a leader after a thousand years of warfare, kings, barons and rebellions gives us a hedge fund boss or an accountant. Someone who got rich by piling up other people's money and trying never to spend any of it, or someone who says they'll cut your taxes, but it'll cost you. Voting boils down to who you like. And in three decades of journalism, I've never met a politician I like who I'd happily give power to. I've met plenty whose goals I disagree with, but who are moral, intelligent, clever and public spirited. I've met those whose policies I like, but who as human beings are soulless abominations who lack the sense of duty displayed by a roof tile. A third of MPs are devoted, selfless, hard-working public servants who do the best they could, whatever their party. A third are grifting charlatans in it for what they can get. And the remainder are dim, vain, happy to do as they're told, and likely to end up in government. Those who want power, by definition, are not the ones who should be given it. They want money, influence, control. They want to be a Premier League footballer fawned over by fans, despite having the legs of Les Dawson and the ball control of Frank Spencer – coupled with the self-belief of a Taui wannabe. It's those who need power, those who need it to feed their families, warm their homes, fix a problem, who should get it. There's widespread public support for renationalising the energy industry in the face of consumers being chiselled by suppliers and producers ratcheting profits ever higher. So why don't we also nationalise power itself? It can be argued that the water which falls out of the sky for free and which we all need access to for life itself, should be owned by the state, for without it we'd cease to exist. And without power, there is no state at all. Electing personalities, or shoes, or earrings, or smiles, or promises, with the ambition and financial backing to run for office has not improved our situation. An electorate of 0.2% of the population is deciding which Prime Minister will preside over a deadly, disastrous winter in which thousands will die unnecessarily of cold and hunger – it's no different to medieval feudalism. We've just evolved a less smelly way of doing it. Instead, power should be free. Free to those who need it to survive and restricted for those who waste it. It's time for a great reform act which makes the UK a truly democratic nation with power distributed fairly throughout, using a system of jury-style selection to give every voter an equal chance and public duty to serve a term on their local council, health authority or in government. 
the hedge funders would have the same opportunities to fiddle the tax rates as a single mum. The disabled and ethnic minorities would be at the table, seen and heard. No one would be ignored because they were less likely to vote in the rain or didn't volunteer for focus groups. Our newspapers and national debate would stop discussing the personalities or political ideology and instead focus on whether this idea would work. Is it helpful? How much will it cost and what will it do? Take the hot air and ego out of politics and you'd get more practical thrust. The House of Lords would no longer be filled by friends of the Prime Minister, but a committee who chose the best. And it could still provide a home and purpose for the thoughtful MPs, the great and good, the campaigners, the admirable souls and strivers we choose to elevate. Put people in government who don't want billions to go to a party donor because there'd be no more parties or a need for donors. Unions and corporations could still lobby, but the randomly chosen prime minister could be compelled by law to have dinner once a month with 10 randomly chosen citizens, not billionaires looking for a favour. There'd still be wrong-ins, of course, but there's fewer of them in the general population than Westminster. The prisons hold 0.88% of Brits, while the rate of criminality is twice that in government, where two ministers out of 120 people admitted guilt over lockdown parties. Throw in the fraudsters, aggressors, COVID denialists and alleged rapists, and it's clear those attracted to power seem the most unsuitable to wield it. Unless, of course, you want a disorganised, bungling criminal cartel in charge. Yes, we'd be relying on Brownian motion to govern, but it's impossible to corrupt or cock up so long as you don't interfere. It's that unqualified interference, whether it's with the NHS, exam grades, energy caps or anything else, which has been the source of all our current problems. If we just fix the distribution of power, all other reforms we need flow from it. Accountability of the legislative duty of candour, the standards you'd observe at a family dining table rather than a particularly fetid farmyard trough, a genuine community-building sense of public duty and a country that supplies its people's needs. Britain could be made fit for the future by new ideas instead of mothballed in a rose-tinted past by people who have never had to live there and are at no risk of ever being forced to experience our lives. And perhaps in return for minimum service standards during industrial action, we could get minimum service standards from the state. Enough water, heat and food to live on and we pay for anything extra. Ah well, we can but vote. A great reform act may be just a dream, but it keeps me warm at night.